What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. You guys, my book is out. I mean, it is out in the world. I cannot believe it. I have been writing it for several years and it's just mind-blowing. Birth Story, Pregnancy Guidebook and Journal is a -a one-of-a-kind discovery into your pregnancy that provides you education through storytelling. So what's it really about? In the 16 years that I have served women with every personality type, I noticed there was a huge disconnect between what my clients were craving for childbirth education in a book and the books that were actually available on the market. There seemed to be unlimited resources if you are looking for an unmedicated birth or a natural birth or a home birth. But there just weren't a lot of resources for my clients who were part of the 92% of women birthing in a hospital and very much open to medical interventions like an epidural, nitrous oxide, and opioid medications. So I wrote that book to fill the gap for you. Week by week throughout your pregnancy, you will engage with material meant to educate and empower you as you plan for your own birth story, hospital, medicated, unmedicated, or something in between. You are welcomed each week with a postcard from the womb, which is an adorable note from your baby about their miraculous development, as well as the amazing changes occurring within you. Then you are invited to use an uplifting birth affirmation and to respond to an introspective journaling prompt to document your feelings, curiosities, and wonders every single week. With room to memorialize your own birth story, this book will become a memory keeper and a legacy gift for your baby. You are encouraged to read one of my favorite birth stories each week filled with childbirth education, tidbits, and explanations of important medical terms and procedures. These are real-life accounts shared with permission from the births that I've attended during my career as a doula, and I gave you a great mix. In the 42-week guide to your pregnancy and 42 birth stories, seven of them end in cesarean section. About half are unmedicated and the other half are medicated deliveries. This is a judgment-free book. So take what you need from each element and leave the rest. Okay, are you ready to buy? I would love for you to go to birthstory.com and buy it directly from me. But I totally get it if you're an Amazon girl. You can head to amazon.com and just type in birthstorypregnancy 
and the book should pop up. I'll deliver it straight to your doorstep. And I would venture to say that you might be an audiobook kind of woman because you're listening to a podcast. So if you would prefer to listen to this book, then I have recorded it and it is available for download at audible.com or on your Audible app. Thank you for being part of the birth story community. I'm so excited for you to have this book in your hand once you've purchased it and it has arrived. I hope that you will give me your thoughts and feedback and don't forget to take a selfie with your book and post it on Instagram and tag at birthstorypodcast. It's Heidi here. And you know, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. And so this week, I have a really cool sponsor who's a local Charlotte newborn photography company called Nest Portrait. So Birth Story listeners can mention this podcast, Birth Story Podcast, to receive $50 off their newborn session booking if you're in the Charlotte area. So let me tell you a little bit about them. I know that you have so much to plan for before this baby's arrival. And Little Nest Portraits is here to help you feel comfortable and confident about that very first newborn photography session. And they want to make sure that you receive luxury experience like every new mom deserves. So from expert baby whispering newborn photographers, for anybody that's listening that's done this, you know what I'm talking about, to a studio space that's gorgeous with all the comforts of home and a 100% happiness guarantee at every session. Your precious memories of your new arrival can be trusted to this really talented team. So they have everything that you're looking for from start to finish. They have all the props. You don't have to go shopping. Custom-made birth announcements, art for your home, for like that favorite picture that you love. You name it, they can create it for you. And then they even offer the hospital Fresh 48 sessions. As a birth doula, those are some of my favorites to see because those are the moments that I get to be part of too in those Fresh 48s. So Birth Story listeners can mention this podcast, Birth Story Podcast, to receive $50 off their newborn session booking if you're in the Charlotte area or you use the code BIRTHSTORY if you schedule online. So Mamas, if you're in Charlotte, your belly is growing, cross it off the to-do list. This is the Meet Aaron episode. I'm really excited because this is our first interview talking about the condition PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and a little love and comfort for the mamas out there that have PCOS. I hope that you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Today, I've got Aaron with me in the studio. Aaron, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a fish biologist from upstate New York. We had our little girl last year, Cecilia, almost one. Everyone that I meet from upstate New York just says upstate New York, but you have to define that for me. So where specifically are you from? It's it's funny because I just had this conversation yesterday with somebody who I work with who is from Syracuse. Okay. Basically, we define upstate as above Albany. Okay. A lot of people from New York City tend to describe upstate as anywhere above New York City. (laughs) I say, so sometimes I say up upstate because we Uh are near Canada. We are 30, about 30 minutes from the Canadian. Canadian border, okay, um, right on Lake Champlain, across from Vermont, right outside the Adirondacks. Happy to have you on the podcast today. I don't know your story, so I'm looking forward to hearing it with all of the listeners. At the same time, the 
I only know one component and that today we're here to talk about your birth story, but also to talk about PCOS. And so let's start right there. Tell me about when you decided to try to have a baby. Started trying last year. Okay. And PCOS is, is it's one of the leading causes of infertility. And But thankfully, we didn't actually have much of that as an issue. Okay. We were one of the really lucky ones. I found out, and I've known this for, for years, that my cycle... So PCOS can cause irregular, irregular periods. Um, I found out for me specifically that if I exercise regularly, that's the biggest component. But if I also eat right, then it, then it regulates my cycle. I was worried in the beginning as to maybe I was getting my period, but I wasn't positive I was ovulating. So I was a little worried about that, but it turns out I think I was. So, I mean, I got pregnant. So so did you get pregnant on the first try? No, it took three months. So three months. But that's not abnormal. So And then when were you diagnosed with PCOS? I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 19. I've always had the symptoms like irregular periods, super heavy periods when you have them. I've had, you know, you can have like some form of like facial hair, which is been annoying. Thankfully, mine's not too bad, but some women get it really bad and just like acne and weight gain. What, how old were you when you started your period? 11. Okay. So you were 11 years old Mm -hmm. when you started your period and you went through puberty. Yeah. You were 19 when you were diagnosed. So between the ages of 11 and 19, what I'm hearing is some of the symptoms that you were experiencing from a very young girl were irregular periods, very heavy periods. So bad. Yeah. Um, Acne would likely be normal, but like more, you know, more acne than your peers. Perhaps. And then um, some facial hair. So Mm -hmm. specifically um, like any specific region of the face. Um, For PCOS women, I don't think that it is, I don't think it only shows up in one place, but for me, it's just like under, underneath my chin, kind of like almost on my neck area, like down here. So Um, if anyone's listening and they're like, they have a, a teenager that's, you know, in puberty and these are some of the signs that would be red flags if they all coupled together. Like if you just had one of those things, maybe not. That's so I think when they diagnose when they diagnose you with PCOS, and maybe this has changed because it's becoming more and more prevalent. I mean, they say up to 15 percent of women have it. It's likely more than that just because okay. it's gone undiagnosed. But I think when they when they diagnose it, they can do an ultrasound and look for cysts on your ovaries. That's one way to look. But a really com- cysts are very common anyway in in just normal women. So and they come and go throughout your cycle. So in the beginning, I think I did have an ultrasound and it didn't show any cysts. It just may have not been the right time in my cycle. And it's not the only thing that that can diagnose you with PCOS, right? Just having cysts doesn't do that. It's the other clinical signs you have, like these symptoms I'm talking about, okay. all of that. And that's why it's a syndrome. It's because it's those things together. And no two women may be the same because there's a whole suite of different symptoms you can have. But it's a little tricky to diagnose. And that's one of the problems. From 11 to 19, though, I mean... If you've never had a period, you don't know what a normal period is supposed to be like. So just kind of walk me through those formative years, like especially with having to go to I'm assuming you had to talk to one of your parents or your doctor. Like, how did that go? It was it was hard, especially in the beginning before you're really good at managing (laughs) your period, because like, I mean, I was 11, 12, 13, 14 years old and these and my periods were so heavy and it was stressful and it was, I mean, so did you hard. have, like you had, would go to school and maybe have accidents? I I did. Um, 
just once one one bad one and I was able to cover it up okay but okay. it was just like it was horrible it was yeah. like stressful in school it's our formative years mm-hmm. like we're trying to build friendships we're trying to learn and educate ourselves and to have an added layer of stress to this already really stressful time period mm-hmm. And then not even know what that is and think that what you're going through is, you know, everyone must be, you know, going exactly. through it. Exactly. Like, or- I didn't know it was more abnormal. And I don't think my mom really understood either. I don't think she really knew that it was like a sign of something, something else going on. Was it painful? I did not have any pain. I don't, I mean, other than just regular cramps. I didn't have okay. like severe cramps or anything like that. So eight years goes by. Something must have happened around the age of 19 that sent you and your family to the doctor. But I think when I got into college, (laughs) you know, I wanted to see about um, getting on birth control and things. So that's when I, you know, I would go to the doctor. I went to the doctor by myself without my mom. And, you know, I told them about these other symptoms I have and things like that. But typically for PCOS, one of the most common treatments for it is birth control. It's more of a metabolic issue. Okay. And well, I mean, it's like a trifecta of metabolic, hormonal kind of reproductive issue. But okay. they're more, more and more they're saying it's more of a metabolic. Like it's rooted in, in, in your metabolism and the hormones that go into regulating that you gain weight and it's so hard to get it off and it's like weight around the middle is like where it really packs on for PCOS people it's one of the more frustrating parts because it's like your metabolism is so slow and resistant to doing anything it's like you can exercise three hours of like heavy cardio a day and um, well I'm gonna interject right there and ask a couple questions yeah because I want our listeners to hear something Aaron is you're not a big person. You had a baby a year ago. I'm I'm definitely larger than you <laughs> and my children are four and three and I don't have PCOS. So I can hear that this is something that you have struggled with. But when you're saying that most of the weight that you gain is around your midsection, mm-hmm. was that true when you were 11 to 19? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that would be something that like, you know, a lot of teenagers can have mm-hmm. thinner midsections. Yeah. But you were exercising and being healthy. I just thought I was just chunky, you know? Okay. I thought that was just it, you know? So and in I, high school, yeah. you were like, I'm just a chunky girl. This is who I am. I'm yeah. not like at the big sports, you know? No, and so one of the things I do know about you is that you have a twin sister. Was she going through this with you? Yes. Yeah. She was having all the same symptoms I was. And... Yeah, the weight gain, the the heavy periods, things like that. We we were doing it together all the time. <laughs> I would think that if I had a twin sister who was going through the same things that I was going through, that then that would just make it seem even more normal. I guess it kind of did. Yeah, actually. Okay. If I was your <laughs> I mom, of it like if that. I was your mom too, and I had a twin daughters, and they were both having the same kinds of periods, mm-hmm. I would think. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is their norm. This is their normal. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it was really frustrating. So. so they put you on a birth control where you still had a cycle. Yes. Because I know that there are many birth controls where you don't have a cycle at mm-hmm. all anymore. Is it important for someone with PCOS to still have a cycle? Just as important as anybody else, okay. I guess. I, I mean, mean, yeah. Now, a lot of people with PCOS experience infertility. Mm -hmm. So you did not have a fertility journey. I mean, three months is still two times where you tried to get pregnant and had either a negative pregnancy test or your period came. So I don't Mm -hmm. want to discount that at all. If If you have one time trying and you don't get pregnant, 
you've got some stuff to wrestle with in your mind. So on month three, you get pregnant. So getting pregnant was pretty easy for us, although it was it was really stressful. Like you said, those those two months where we didn't get pregnant, it was like I was wondering if we are going to have an issue because of my PCOS, right? But you have to give it up to a year before you know if there's a problem. So let's like, interject right there. No one should wait one year. I'm sorry, doctors. Six months. Yeah. If you are trying to have a baby and you are not pregnant in six months, I don't care how old you are. Yeah. You should be talking to your doctor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. (laughs) So, but they tell you, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember I was 35 years old and I remember the doctor saying, well, it's six months is kind of a red flag, but we don't really consider you having a problem for a year. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm 35 years old. I don't have a I year. I don't have a year. Yeah. I was like, you're going to have to figure out how to get me pregnant a lot sooner than 12 months from now. Right. You know, I, it's really important. Anyone mm-hmm. who's listening, if you are not pregnant in six months, raise your hand, yeah. call your doctor and be proactive. You have to be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I started going to kickboxing in at CKO South Charlotte. They're awesome there. It's, you know, it's for all fitness levels, which is what was awesome. I started going there and I was not in any kind of good shape at all. But three years later, you know, I was in, I was still chunky as I will always be, but my cardio was awesome. So in my, my, so it made my period regular, which is the most important thing. I can't stress enough how important exercise, even just two to three days a week of a half an hour of exercise can make such a huge difference with anybody with PCOS and regulating their cycle. Okay. I also worked with um, one of the owners of the kickboxing gym, Linda, is a nutritionist. Knowing that we were going to want to start trying soon, I wanted to lose, I wanted to lose a little weight. Um, I had gained muscle, but I hadn't really lost a lot of weight. So I started working with her and I lost 15 pounds maybe. And I think that also really helped, really helped us get pregnant. And 15 pounds is a lot because you're not tall. How right. tall are I'm you? Five two. Five two. Okay. <laughs> so when you're five two, 15 pounds is a lot of yeah. pounds. Yeah. So that's yeah. a significant like percentage even mm-hmm. of your body weight and definitely getting exercising, mm-hmm. getting healthy, mm-hmm. losing weight, being in a really good place, yes. your body does respond to that. Yes. We know that, especially when it comes to fertility. And even if you're exercising and you're not necessarily losing the weight, it's not it's not, not a benefit. Like you, your body is still feeling that and it's still going to make a difference in your cycle. I mean, I had I had done kickboxing for three years. And I hadn't really lost a, lost any weight according to the scale, but I felt so much better and my cycle regulated and that, that is like priceless right there. Yep. So, well, you get all those great endorphins, yeah, which control anxiety and depression and stress. Yes. Which PCOS women are prone to right. more than others is anxiety and depression. So probably because an increase in cortisol. Yes. And so we know that exercising decreases mm-hmm. those cortisol and adrenaline, like, well, adrenaline in a good way, but those mm-hmm. surges that can cause that. So yeah. So you're doing all the right things or you were doing all the right things. It was so important for me to find something that I loved. I loved punching. I still love. I still 
still do it. I still love punching and kicking a bag. Like it is the best stress relief. Um, finding something you actually enjoy doing, you're much more apt to do it. And it just makes sense. Yeah. So but then let's see, we got pregnant and then, you know, I had the first typical month of like fatigue, like first trimester fatigue and everything like that. Um, I was nauseous, but I didn't like morning sickness doesn't really run in my family. Thankfully, okay. my grandmother didn't really have it. My mom didn't have it. My sister didn't have it. It was just like a, a very low level of nausea. Okay. A little bit of ginger ale took care of it just fine. And, and I was okay. fine. So, so your response to the HCG hormone was pretty tolerable. Yes, very tolerable. The other thing, though, with PCOS, you're on edge for the first like trimester, trimester and a half, because um, women with PCOS have a much higher rate of miscarriage on top of the already, which is high, I consider to be a normal rate of miscarriage. Yeah, which is 25%. Yeah. yeah. So you can have up to a 50% chance of miscarriage with PCOS. And that is really scary. And so the whole at first, any time or just in the, the first, first trimester. trimester. Yeah. Okay. So your first trimester risk of miscarriage is double yeah. um, that of the normal population. Yeah. Yeah. That's really high. It's it's scary. And um, they had put me on metformin, which mm-hmm. is yeah a diabetic drug, I guess, but it can help um, regulate your insulin and everything like that. Exactly. Because PCOS is a metabolic syndrome. Exactly. So, so let's go back to that metabolic yes. syndrome. A diabetes medicine is a good option. Yes. And has, we've seen in the data, a reduced risk of miscarriage yes. in um, PCOS patients that take metformin mm-hmm. in the first trimester. Yeah. Did you stay on it for your entire pregnancy? Nope. I stopped after my first trimester. Okay. At my higher weight, at like, oh, I'm not going to say my weight, but at my higher weight, at my highest weight. <laughs> I'm I not going to say mine either. <laughs> <laughs> at my highest weight, I was, uh, I, I did test to be insulin resistant, but losing 10 pounds took care of it and I wasn't anymore. I wasn't in that range, which is really good. Just as a, just to help and just as a precaution, they put me on metformin and I took it through my first trimester and then I was able to stop. So with women with PCOS, sometimes just taking metformin will really help them lose weight if they are insulin resistant. If they're not, then it may or may not help really. So for the, so the first trimester went fine, I guess. It was, yeah. you know, you got through and that was it. it. I got through it. You yeah. were still pregnant. Yeah. Yes. I was still pregnant. Like, and it was funny, God. like my kickboxing gym, the owners, they totally were like knowing they're, they're. They noticed I stopped. I was going four days a week. And then all of a sudden I was going maybe once a week. Hey, I think that's really good. <laughs> so they're like, something is going on. So if that, someone told me I had a 50% chance of miscarriage, I think I would have crossed my legs and laid down and said, yeah. I'll stand up in 14 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, it was, it was a, it was just the fatigue is what got me. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise I felt overwhelming fine. fatigue, but you felt mm-hmm. great and you were continuing to work and mm-hmm. all of that. How was second trimester? Second trimester was amazing. Um, I had a month, like my fifth month of where I had headaches almost daily. Okay. And that was hard because it was like the, you can take Tylenol, but it was like, I don't want to take Tylenol like <laughs> every four hours on the dot or something. But it was almost at that point where nothing would help. And I was just getting chronic headaches. Did you call your doctor? I did. Okay. Um, and yeah, they were just, that was their answer. You can take Tylenol. If it gets, I had one migraine during that, which is weird because I hadn't had migraines for several years and it wasn't one with aura, but it was just a, like a really bad, bad headache. And they said I could take like Excedrin migraine or something. And it was the only time. And then after, after that month, it was a month and then it went away. Thank goodness. Okay. I think this is a really good, um, place to just take pause. It's normal, even when you don't have PCOS, 
because of the surges in hormones at different points in your pregnancy to have some raging migraines and some raging headaches and that type of thing. So Tylenol was offered to you, clearly increasing your fluid intake. Peppermint oil is something that um, people use. You said Excedrin, uh, my uh, sister, migraine. Yeah, my sister sent me... Um I think it was a lavender. Yep, Don't lavender care, a roller. Too. I would use that. that yeah, seemed to help a little bit. But. Lavender and a couple drops of peppermint too. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else? Time. Yeah, <laughs> next pregnancy. Is there anything else that you remember doing to just kind of like? Did you use ice or anything to calm the headache? I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. Um, I just want to make sure we talk about headaches. They can also surge. Um, during labor, but it does happen quite often. And we just use a little lavender and peppermint and uh, push fluids and, Mm -hmm. you know, all the things that we talked about. So then you move into the third trimester and you're nearing the time for labor and delivery. Had you taken any childbirth education classes? We did. We took took one. and that was enlightening. I was actually really scared to take what it. What type of class did you take? Like hospital-based or? Mm-hmm. Okay, just a hospital-based childbirth class. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was actually led by, uh, was a midwife. Okay. A midwife oh. and like EMT or something. She like was a, she did both. And so she was very knowledgeable and she was great because she was like, here's my email if you have any additional questions. And I did. I definitely emailed her with questions after. So it was a good and educational good class. Job. I was scared about what I was going to learn in the class. <laughs> but what do you it, mean? It, I don't know. I was just afraid of like the gory details and I was afraid of the videos they might show, but nothing was bad at all. So, so you knew labor was coming, but you weren't quite ready to really you no, know, we, know about it. We took the class <laughs> fairly early in my third trimester, maybe okay. towards maybe the end of my second trimester. I don't remember okay. something like that. It was fairly early. I didn't want to leave it for the last week. Yeah. Yeah. So my second were- trimester, something else I had though, I remember um, my SI joint was yep. super painful and I I'm so mad that I went so long <laughs> without getting looked at but it wasn't until I met with my doula and decided to go with her good I she, didn't even know you had a doula I now did. I'm getting excited can I say her name if you have her permission Helen from Aussie doula she's amazing I she actually right when we first when we were interviewing her she was the one who suggested I go to a chiropractor for my SI joint I hadn't even thought of that yes and go, she gave Helen. me the name of a chiropractor to go to who specializes in perinatal care and they're just awesome and it was just a few visits there it was like they would adjust my pelvis like the back of my pelvis I guess right where your spine goes into your pelvis is where that SI mm-hmm. joint is and it was so painful I could barely walk wasn't going to the gym anymore it was really difficult but it was just a few visits there and I could suddenly walk again I could do everything again it was amazing and I couldn't believe that I went three months <laughs> in such pain before I got fixed well this is really good for you to just say this out loud because so many people are like well what is a doula and what does a doula do and the earlier in your pregnancy you hire a doula the earlier you start building that relationship and they start being an advocate for you and sharing their resources and their knowledge with you. So Helen actually is one of my friends. I adore her. (laughs) The Aussie doula company is one of the best doula companies in Charlotte outside of my own. I'm just kidding. (laughs) um, Helen has been on the show um, for like meet the doulas, doulas tell all. 
But that is such an important detail, right? Is that you're in pain, you're experiencing something, you reach out to your doula, your doula provides a solution for you. This is just one tiny little piece of how a doula supports you during your pregnancy, not just your labor and your um, delivery. So big shout out to Helen Mm -hmm. um, right there. So the chiropractor, you go a couple of times and they get you comfortable Mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Then did you continue to go throughout the rest of your pregnancy? I did pretty regularly. Every two to three weeks, I think I was going just to make sure that kept aligned. And actually, I think at the end, when I ended up having Cecilia, we figured out why I was so kind of lopsided. She was just a little bit crooked in there. And I think that's what was causing my SI joint issues and and some issues in labor, which we can talk about later. Yeah, well, we're almost we're on the (laughs) brink, like we're almost there. Yeah. How did the end the very end of your pregnancy go? My whole pregnancy was amazing and I felt incredible through the whole thing and I continued to exercise up until I continued to kickbox until 39 weeks. Whoa. I felt amazing and I think this is something that I don't know if this is true for all PCOS sisters we call ourselves mm-hmm. but it's like your PCOS symptoms go away because you're normalized kind of normalized for pregnancy right mm-hmm. um, but your hormones like regulate because anytime outside of pregnancy, you're all messed up because of PCOS. But during pregnancy, you're like normal, like every other pregnant lady. And so, so it's like suddenly you're, you feel as good as everyone else. Many women will describe, like I've had so many clients that have, have had chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, um, Hashimoto's, just very different autoimmune that I've worked with and their pregnancy was the best they've ever felt in their life. So you experienced that. Yes. I felt incredible. I felt so energized. So the end of pregnancy went really well for you. You had felt the best that you had probably ever felt in your life as a woman with PCOS and now labor and delivery are coming. They're ahead of you. Imminent. Yeah. Hey, it's Heidi. I'm interrupting the podcast to let you know about a free resource that I've created for you at birthstory.com. All you have to do is go to birthstory.com and then click the tab that says the workbook. Once you put your email address in, an entire resource library of all of my secret sauces are available to you for free as my thank you for listening to the Birth Story podcast and being part of this community. At birthstory.com, under the workbook, you will find a birth plan template, articles on circumcision, delayed cord clamping, flipping a breech baby, packing your hospital bag, acupressure points, placenta encapsulation, and so much more. There are over 20 free articles ready for you to download at birthstory.com. Now let's get back to this amazing episode. What types of things were in your birth plan? Like what were you, what type of birth were you interested in having? Well, I really, I did want probably like a lot of women. I was like, I want to do it naturally. But I also, I very much was, was of the mindset that if it's too much, I'm willing to get an epidural for sure. It is what it is, you know, and I don't know what it's going to be like. And I want to have all my options open. And I didn't see any problem with that. I tried to prepare 
um, mentally for it. And I actually, like, I was convinced it was not going to be an issue, right? Everyone's like, oh, you've exercised so well. You are so fit. It's going to be so fast and easy for you. And I'm like, that's awesome. And then. Hold on. For anyone who's listening, (laughs) don't ever tell a first time mom. That her labor is going to be fast. Things Easy that first- is not something you should relate to labor. I don't care who you are. In a first time labor, no one should ever use the word fast. <laughs> Pick so back up. I, I had some high expectations because since I had kidney stones, I was like, oh, my pain threshold's pretty high. Like, I mean, I got to the, I've had kidney stones several times because once you get them, you're kind of more prone to them. So I got to the point where all I need is a couple Tylenol. I'm good. Right. So, and you hear all the time, Oh, kidney stones can be as worse as labor and all this stuff. And I'm like, Mm, yeah, five out of 10. It's definitely a guy (laughs) who came up with that one. (laughs) At the end of my pregnancy, I felt, I still felt amazing. I was sleeping great. Like I said, I was exercising up until 39 weeks and that's kind of where, when Cecilia dropped a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I just I couldn't go anymore and that was I could walk and that was it. <laughs> but um So at thirty nine weeks you actually felt and saw a dropping. No, I didn't see it. It was just like all of a sudden there was this heaviness kind okay. of down there that I didn't have before and I was like, I can't I can't I can't kick like this. I can't go to the gym like this. Because the way I want you to describe the end of the pregnancy is for people who are listening that are pregnant right now and they have no idea what to expect, like <laughs> what's coming. So really kind of describe like so you were feeling great and then all of a sudden you felt a lot of pressure where it was just like like there was something lower between my legs, I guess. Was it harder to walk? I was definitely getting the waddle going. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it was as bad as some people's, but there was definitely a difference in in a point that I felt like I couldn't like you know, do my regular gym thing. I could walk and it would look a little silly, but that's what I did. So. And you were 39 weeks. 39 weeks, about maybe a couple of days after that. I don't remember. But Were you having internal exams performed? They did check me a couple times. I forget. They're like weekly, weekly appointments by then. Okay. Um, by the time I was, I think at 39 weeks, I was maybe three centimeters Oh, that's a lot. By the time I got to like 40 weeks, I was four centimeters, I think. Okay, so that's also a lot for those listening. I was like, great. Were you feeling a lot of Braxton Hicks contractions? Not much. It was really only when I was at the gym. Okay. Um, If I pushed it a little bit too hard, I would what I assume was a Braxton Hick, it would, it would yeah. feel kind of a lot of tightening. And that's really the only times I really had them was when I was like actively moving a lot. Yeah. Um, it was either that or like walking to my office from the light rail. If I was like really huffing it to get there on time or something, then I would get one too. This is really important that you're sharing this because you want to do as much labor, aka cervical dilation as possible before you go into mm-hmm. active labor. So your body does this with Braxton Hicks contractions. Your body does this by like helping the baby drop and get lower to put pressure on that cervix. But you just ding, 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 exercise, mm-hmm. being upright, walking, you know, I'm not going to tell everybody to kick and punch unless that they've done that before they got pregnant and were kickboxing. But continuing your regular exercise really helps to soften that cervix and help it come down. And around 39, 40 weeks, were you still able and comfortable to have sex? Yes. Okay. Because that's another really good one. People tell me they get to four centimeters. My natural reaction is like, oh, good. They were still having sex. The reason I would think that is because of oxytocin 
and prostaglandins that are um, in the semen, which soften the cervix. You'll never so. have so many people tell you to have sex as you I will know, at the end of right. your pregnancy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I had everybody telling me that. Okay. And so you were comfortable and you were able mm-hmm. to and all of that. Okay. So you're now 40 weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. You're four centimeters dilated. And did you have any signs of labor? Nothing coming yet. Okay. Everyone, every time I went to my appointment... My OB or my midwife, whoever it was I saw that day, was like, you are ready to go. You're going to go. I would be surprised if you make it the weekend. They're always reassuring me, I'm ready to go. It's going to happen. And days came and days went, and I'm still working because I haven't gone into labor yet. <laughs> so I think I, I think it was 41 weeks and 41 weeks and two days or something. And I told my boss, I'm done. I'm like, I got to get this. I got to work on getting this baby out of me. So did you have a 41 week appointment? I did. And did they do a non-stress test at that appointment? Yep. The baby seemed fine and they, and everything looked good. So they kept trying to schedule me for, for an induction and I kept pushing it off. I said, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. And baby is still moving a lot and everything looks good. So we'll let it go a few more days. And let's talk about that non-stress test. Is that an ultrasound and an NST or did they just do the NST? They just did the NST. Okay. And an NST for everyone listening is where they hook you up to monitors. They're monitoring two things. One, baby's movements, right? And heart rate. And then also contractions to see if you're having contractions. Were you having any contractions? Mm -mm. No. So no contractions, but baby was moving around and doing... Um, great. So they send you home. Mm-hmm. And did you do any natural induction techniques we, at home? We did all of the things. Ex- okay. The only thing we didn't do was the... Uh, Castor oil? Yes, that one. I was like, I know what you're about to say. <laughs> that was the only one <laughs> I did That's the last do. resort. I feel like we so. did everything. I mean, I went to acupuncture. We, I walked all the time. We had all the sex. I was bouncing on a ball. I was, I was trying everything. I think I kept a list in my phone of all the things I had tried that hadn't worked. And let me interject. I'm assuming that you were knowing what to do because your doula, Helen, was feeding you what to do. Okay. Because a lot of people are like, how do you know your doula will tell you all the natural induction techniques that we have in our toolkit. Mm -hmm. So nothing worked. They scheduled an induction for Mm -hmm. when? Um, It was the, I think it was 41.4. So 41-4, you had a scheduled induction, which is pretty good because usually with a first time healthy mom, 42 weeks is kind of the, I mean, I've had many clients, including myself, go over Mm -hmm. that day, but 42 is kind of the, the brick wall. So this is good. So what happens when you show up for the induction? So we showed up and I was still... I was still reserved. I was, I was, I was really afraid of the drugs that they were going to use. Uh, Pitocin, I guess. I was okay. like afraid of how that was going to make my labor and how painful it was going to be. And I was just, I didn't want to do it. I was really re- reluctant to do it. And so when I showed up, I was like, I'm not quite ready for this. I want to see if the baby is still comfortable and still okay in there. And then if baby is fine, then let's stretch this out a couple more days. Yeah. And let me tell you why the Pitocin was the induction method for you because there are many induction methods, um, including Cytotec, which is a prostaglandin that 
opens the cervix, but your cervix was already soft you know, and right hip and open. I had wondered why they weren't going to do that because yeah. that's what I was like. I'd it's rather just, just do it's, that. That's it's, a, it's a prostaglandin. That makes sense then. And then also the Foley bulb catheter, which again is just a little balloon that goes inside and helps dilate your cervix. Hmm. But the goal is to get your cervix open and your cervix was already soft and open mm-hmm. and ripe. So the next step in the induction process is, well, it can be two things. They can break your water or they can do Pitocin or they can do both. Mm-hmm. And so they were offering you Pitocin induction. Yes. Yep. So, but since we showed up and I was like, I'm not really ready for this. Um, we met with the doctor and we did another non-stress test okay. and he took a look at it and he's like, yeah, you know, baby seems to be doing okay. We'll give you another couple of days. Okay. So I love like, your doctor. Perfect. I mean, this was a doctor I hadn't had before, but from the same practice Okay. and he seemed really nice and I would have been okay actually, yeah. you know, going into labor and having a baby with this guy yeah. at the wheel. That would have been okay. He seemed nice enough. I had met him previously at a meet and greet. So. And they didn't think that the baby was too big or anything Mm-mm. like that? No. Um, we, we went home that day, but they're like, come back to the doctor's office They the next day, I think maybe for an ultrasound. Okay. Maybe it was Wednesday. It was Wednesday. They wanted an ultrasound just to check things out because then, you know, Thursday was my 42 weeks. They're like, we got to, we got to check these things. Right. Right. So, um, went in for an ultrasound and they're like estimating the baby to be on the bigger side, but you know, they're also acknowledging the fact that it's hard to measure a baby this late in the pregnancy. Yeah. So they're not it can too be, worried about it. This is the joke. It can be up to two pounds off at 42 weeks. Which is a So big. when they estimate 10, it could be eight. Yeah. Or it could be 12. Or it could be nine or 10 or 11. You know, it's not, it's really difficult. Yeah. A two pound window is <laughs> really, really big, really big window. Yeah. Um, how was your fluid? Um, so this was Wednesday. It had to have been Wednesday. Yes. Because I think Tuesday I'd spent the whole day trying to go into labor naturally because I'm like, oh, we're down to the wire now. I got to do this. So Wednesday we go in for the ultrasound and the fluid was low and um, Cecilia's uh, diaphragm reflex was not going as it should be. Okay. Um which I guess is just a flutter that they see. So that was concerning. So they bring us in. They're like, it's not an emergency, but you have to go now. So we were freaking out because we're we're really upset. We're like, oh, my gosh, is the baby okay and stuff like this? And they're like, it's not an emergency, but go. So we go home. We grab our stuff. Andrew's on the phone with Helen updating her about what's going on. I was too upset to talk uh, or anything. I was trying to wrap my head around this because I was mentally prepared for your natural childbirth. <laughs> I was mentally prepared for something other than this. Yeah. Right. And now, now I felt like my baby's at risk because I pushed it too long. Yeah. So I was freaking out. But, you know, Andrew's like telling Helen, oh, we'll let you know. I don't think we need you yet. We'll, we'll call you when we need you or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so we go home, get our stuff on our way to the hospital. I'm freaking out. I'm like, you have to call Helen. So he calls yeah. her back. He's like, we need you. <laughs> so she yeah. came right down, which is awesome. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's so wonderful. So we show up to the hospital. I host down a a pack of peanut butter crackers and a and a cliff bar in the parking lot before that was going the in. last time you were gonna <laughs> eat. I knew that. So <laughs> we go inside and they set us up and I'm so nervous and I'm so like anxious and they're hooking me up with the monitors and stuff and they're looking at things and I I, I got a midwife which was wonderful I, I hadn't met her she was from the practice but I hadn't met her before and she seemed really nice she's like I just want you to know that this is just like it's good that you're here but it's just the one of the very first signs that the baby may be starting to get a little stressed and that's it it's one of the very first signs it's nothing to be too concerned about yet and that really helped us calm down a lot because we were under the impression she was 
getting in trouble, like real yeah. trouble. And if and it was real trouble, you have been wheeled to the OR for a cesarean yeah, section. Exactly. If you're like at the hospital being monitored, like, yeah, I agree with your midwife. Like, yeah. trust me, there's definitely a difference between an emergency and an ur- urgency, yeah, you yeah. know, two different, two different yeah. things. Yeah. So and this probably wasn't even urgency yet. It was no. just kind of simmering. Yeah. So we get there and, and they, they hook me up and, and the baby's looking pretty stressed though. Like her heart rate's really high. Well, let's get a, let's get the, um, the head monitor on her. What okay. is the little thing that goes on her head? Well, now I have big questions for you because that's called an internal fetal scalpel, but mm-hmm. your water has to be mm-hmm. ruptured. Yep. But your water hadn't ruptured. It had not. Okay. I mean, so, I hadn't even had any contractions. Okay. At this so point. they wanted to rupture your water mm-hmm. as a starting point. Yes. And then monitor her internally with an internal fetal yes. scalpel. Yes. Okay. That's the most accurate like heart rate that we mm-hmm. can get on a baby. Right. Yeah. So so they did that. They they broke my water and they put the little sensor on her head and then we were just hanging out because they wanted to monitor her and hopefully get her heart rate down before they start giving giving me any drugs or anything. Yeah. So we're hanging out and I'm starting to get contractions and I'm starting to get more contractions and I'm really taken off actually. Right. So Helen went to get dinner in the cafeteria and when she came back, I was in like full labor. Like I was like wow, there. Wow, that quick. Okay, so I that didn't, can happen with a water it rupture. It was just a few hours and I was really... I was really into it. So. And they never gave you Pitocin? Nope, not at all. Okay, so your induction was the water rupture. Yes, and I was so happy because I, was, I really did not want that Pitocin. And how are you laboring? Because at this point, you have to be continuously monitored with that scalpel. So you have to be close to the bed. Were you able to sit on the birthing ball? Were you able... Were so, you- so I was able to move around okay. like I wanted to. I was standing most of the time. Okay. I was just standing. Um, we tried a few different places. Later in labor, I tried the birthing ball and I ended up hating it. I hated it with everything in me. Well, that is, is ha- that will happen when um, the pa- the baby's in a weird position, which you already said mm-hmm. that she was a little crooked. Mm-hmm. That will happen. Okay. And it will also happen when the baby's really low. So like the ball feels super good until it doesn't feel good. <laughs> and when it doesn't feel good, the baby's in a weird position mm-hmm. or the baby's coming out. Maybe that's it. So yeah. that'd be my guess. Mm-hmm. So. But I was... I was laboring pretty good. I mean, all like, you know, no drugs yet. And I was like handling it. Okay. It wasn't easy, obviously, but, um, my midwife was there as well. Like I didn't realize this until after Helen's wonderful. Cause she took some pictures throughout mm-hmm. the labor and stuff, which I mean, like had my eyes closed, I think focusing. So I didn't know anything that was going on around me. And my midwife was there a lot. I had back labor really bad because Cecilia was sunny side up. Yep, that would be the crooked baby. Yep. <sighs> it was it also was, called OP. Right. Okay. I think I've heard that before. Yeah. yeah. It just means face up. Yeah. Sunny side up. So she was sunny side up and I had really bad back labor. Equals back labor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank God bless Helen. She brought a... A rolling pin. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that saved my life. That rolling yeah. pin, right over, right over where the SI joint is, yeah. on the back of my pelvis. Like it just for hours. I think Andrew was there rolling my back like that, and and my midwife was there doing the hip squeeze for me, and it was just hours like that. But everybody was working together. Yeah. How close were your contractions? Probably close, right? It felt close. Three to four minutes apart. Probably, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you were 
lasting for a minute. This is where I'm guessing when I'm talking to you, which means you were only getting about probably a 90 second break in between before the next one hit. Does that feel right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I was like, um, actually I had asked Helen was also awesome because she took notes throughout it so that she had a timeline because people were asking me, how fast was it? What time were you doing this and that? And I was like, I have no idea. I'm not the one to ask that. So, um, she sent me the notes and it looks like I had gotten, I was so upset when she, when my midwife checked me a few hours in, it really shouldn't have been that upset, but I was only seven centimeters. Only. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, starting at four, I had high expectations. Seven is really far (laughs) along. (laughs) I was disappointed. I was like, what are you doing? A few hours. And here's the joke. You're a few hours into labor and you're seven centimeters dilated. That's really, really far along. (laughs) Well, (laughs) for anyone listening, seven is, I'll give you an example. I went from seven to 10 in one contraction. I was seven centimeters dilated. They checked my cervix and on the next contraction, I started pushing. Holy crap. Yeah. So seven is very far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, didn't feel far enough for me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And well, so they broke my water at like five, five thirty, something like that. Um, And then I think, I think 10 o'clock they checked me and I was like, nine and a half centimeters or wow. something. Wow. Okay. I was, I was close. I was like maybe nine. And that's what happens when you start labor at four centimeters dilated. But this whole time you're just having back labor. Oh, it was horrible. Just butt kicked yeah. back labor. Mm-hmm. And your baby is not descending because she's sunny side up. It was tough. So that nine, I was nine centimeters at 10 o'clock, three hours. It took me to go from nine to 10. But And I'm assuming that the midwife and Helen were doing everything they could to get you into positions to turn the baby. Oh, it was so hard. I, this time I'm going to try to really remember to like, to like be more open to that because it was like, it's so hard when you change a position. Initially, it seems like the worst possible position ever. You don't want to be there or anything. But if you give it two contractions, it probably feels pretty good to be in that position. Yeah. And it took a lot of strength to move. So it was like, oh, go try sitting on the toilet. Toilet, And I was like, I don't want to sit on the toilet. I don't want to go in there. And yeah. finally I did. And I was like, this is horrible. I hate it. And then two contractions later, I was like, this is, this is this good. Is the best this is way I better. Yeah. This is way better. I have to try to remember that this time and be more open to moving And I more. think that this is important to teach people that are listening to is that if you do have a doula or you listen to them, if you don't <laughs> have a doula, change positions. Mm-hmm. Have your partner remind you to change positions. And change positions often. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes, definitely. So so I had moved around a lot, which was nice. I liked having that ability. I don't think I labored on my back in the bed at all. I, I was mainly, mainly standing on the toilet or at the end I was on my hands and knees. And so you're still totally natural. Mm-hmm. You're 10, now <laughs> three hours later, you're 10 centimeters dilated. Finally. It's the middle of the night though. Yeah. So now it's like probably what, one, two, three in the morning? Yeah, something one, like that? one or two, something like that. Okay. I think it was two. Yeah. You're fully dilated, mm-hmm. but did you have the urge to bear down or push at all? So that last probably between one and two, that last like good hour before I was, before I could, I had a, I think she called it like a cervical lip or something. Yes. It just wouldn't open all okay. the way. Yeah. And I think that was a function of Cecilia being a little bit crooked and not engaging completely. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. That's absolutely what it is. Yeah. And, and typically what we do is try to turn you 
to where that cervical lip is. So huh. if the, the cervical lip is anterior or posterior, we'll put you either laying back or on your hands and knees, depending on where that lip is, if it's on the left side or the right side. Hmm. So you want to put pressure on, that on the lip. Makes sense. To make, um, and this is, okay, let me just interject right here. The fact that you had a lip on your cervix, but that you are still natural gives us a lot of options because it is possible when you have an epidural and you have a lip, um, it's a hundred percent possible to move you. It, it's, it's just a lot harder to get you on your hands and knees or, um, your left side, your right side is easy. Leaning forward, um, mm-hmm. is easy. But if you have a lip that, which requires you, which is more on the front and requires you to get on your hands and knees, sometimes with a heavy epidural, it just it's is tricky. a little bit, it's yeah. just a little bit trickier. It's mm-hmm. squatting is another easy way to resolve a lip, a cervical mm-hmm. lip, just getting into the deepest possible squat, crunching around your baby. Mm-hmm. So you have this little lip and then what happened? Throughout that last hour, I think between like nine and a half centimeters and 10, right when I couldn't get that lip to go away, I was having that, um, that reflex, the the ejection reflex. Yes, it was like I mean I couldn't stop, and I would apologize for it, which is ridiculous. But it was like I can't help it, <laughs> you know. So don't apologize. Yeah, this is your body's because it would tell me not to push, you. and I was just like I can't not. I'm like it's going to do it's, what it's, gonna it's do. happening. <laughs> like yeah. I can't stop it, but it just but my cervix apparently wasn't quite ready for it, so yeah. it was just a little disconnect there. But eventually, the lip went away, and I was able to start pushing. And then by that point, I was like. It was a little bit more of a more of a relief to be able to do something more focused instead of just waiting out this next contraction. Because I was at that point, I was definitely at that point where I was like, I'm done. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like every time I would feel another contraction come, I would almost start crying because I was like, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. And throughout that whole time, through my whole labor, I had not ever thought of getting an epidural, it didn't even occur to me that that was an option. And nobody reminded me that it was an option. <laughs> and which is good because I knew I didn't really want that. But it was like, I can't believe it didn't occur to me the whole time. Because you were busy laboring. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this time, I don't think I'm going to forget. But. Many things don't occur to you because yeah. you can't think about anything other than getting through the next contraction. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and also like by the time I was that late and I was that dilated, and I've reached that point. I remember thinking in my head that if I reach the point where I I feel like I can't do this anymore, I know I'm almost done. And exactly. I thought that. I was like, I've got to be almost done. Except that phase ended like ended up being like three hours long. So it was first like, baby. Yeah. I okay. was like So it was it was hard, but not as long on second and third we'll of see. I mean, my no. whole labor start to finish here was 10 hours. 10 hours. Okay. <laughs> so not very long at all. I was one of the good ones, right? Pretty good. Yeah. 10 <laughs> hours with an induction, you know, with a water break induction. Yeah. So, um, and so the whole time they're continuing to monitor Cecilia, your mm-hmm. baby, she and she good. was doing great. So that heart rate Her was, heart rate had come down had within come down. the first couple hours. Okay. And you didn't have a temperature. <laughs> you were also GBS negative, so they yes. didn't have to administer antibiotics. Did you have an IV or an IV port in your arm? I had an IV port. And originally I was like, I don't want that, but um, I don't think I had the option. And like, you know, it was, I understood after they explained like why you need it just for an emergency, you know, if you start hemorrhaging or something, they might need to give you something. And this is the quickest, quickest way. And it wasn't in my way. They put it up on my arm and that was what was important to me. I didn't want it on my hand because that would be bothersome up on my arm. I didn't even notice it. So. 
perfect. Thank you for sharing that because this IV port is a stressor for many moms that want to have a natural labor. (laughs) I could do, and I probably will do an entire short episode on um, what the pros and what the cons of the IV port are. Mm -hmm. So very few medical interventions other than having your water ruptured and Mm -hmm. internal monitoring. You started to have that natural urge to push. Mm -hmm. And then how long did you push for? 48 minutes. 48 minutes. I think. 38 minutes, sorry. 38 started at minutes. started at 2.10 and, and we had Cecilia at 2.48. And that speaks so much to you staying in shape and having a strong core. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping, but it's like, don't go on Facebook. Just yeah. don't be part of these groups because all you see is, oh, two pushes and he was out. You know, now. I'm laboring and I'm pushing so hard. And I said it too. I was like... <laughs> I won't say what I said, <laughs> but I was like angry because I'm like these Facebook girls. I didn't quite say it that way. They say two pushes and he's out. And every birth story is so different. It is very normal. And any I'm assuming any doctor would say to push for one to four hours on a first birth is really normal. It's really, really, mm-hmm. really normal. So yeah. 38 minutes is a short period yeah. of time. It really wasn't that bad. Yeah. I just wanted it to be done with. Here's what I want people to take away from your story that I'm taking away. You advocated to go all the way to 42 weeks. When your baby was in distress, you pivoted from your birth plan with, you know, ease and confidence. You had a doula by your side and your husband by your side to support you. You had your water broken as a medical intervention which you didn't even have to get Pitocin. And you continued to labor completely naturally for 10 hours and you pushed for 38 minutes. Erin, you have an incredible birth story. (laughs) And there's so much I hope people learned from today's episode Mm -hmm. and hearing you um, talk about the journey of PCOS from the time that you were 11 years old. I just learned so much from you and I appreciate you being on the show today. Before you go, what has been your favorite baby product? Something with PCOS. From like the start of puberty, right? You uh, don't get a lot of mammary gland tissue. Okay. So I always thought I just had small breasts because my mom is 5'2 and 100 pounds and she has small breasts. But it turns out it's because of PCOS. So okay. it resulted in a low milk supply. Okay. And I had been to a lactation consultant, which everybody should go to if you're going to breastfeed. They're amazing. They're little angels to teach you and the baby how to breastfeed. 100% agree. Yep. I did end up having to supplement with formula, which is fine. Fed is best. Something that really helped me with that was the Haka. Okay. Tell um, me about it. It's like the silicone. It's like almost a suction cup with like... Like a little cup on it. Okay. When you breastfeed, you may leak out of the other side. Mm-hmm. Or for me, getting out of the shower, I would all of a sudden start leaking all over the place. So, not having a whole lot of supply, I wanted to catch everything I could. And these little hakas, you just stick them on there, and it just and it just fills up the cup for you, and you don't lose all of that milk. So it was like really important to me that I was able to do that after I discovered this was a thing. So. Um, that was my favorite thing because it helped me just give her a little bit more of of myself to her that I otherwise would have lost. I think that's amazing and I think that's a, the best product recommendation we've had so far. <laughs> so I will link to it in the show notes and I appreciate all that you are and all that you've shared with us today. We've learned so much, Erin. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. 
At the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned Little Nest Photo. And just a reminder, if you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, you can receive $50 off your newborn session booking by using the code BIRTHSTORY when scheduling online or if you call them at 704-847-4444 and you mention the Birth Story podcast, you can get that $50 off your newborn session. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 